Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. Okay, anyways, let's go back and pick up where we left off. The, the, the big picture here is Paul is contrasting vain babblings, endless genealogies, um, idle talk, all of that stuff as producing people who are not godly. If anything, they, are, they, they are tend towards error. And he says you need to deal on wholesome words. And where do you get the wholesome words? The Word of God. And that's where you study to show yourself approved to God. You study the Word of God to show yourself approved to God. And don't get stuck with idle chatter and vain and, and babblings here. And he says uh, a couple of them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. They're like this. And they came up with this notion that the resurrection is already past. And they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Um, you've got people that are drawn off into doctrinal error because of these vain babblings, because of these, these endless genealogies, these old wives' fables, whatever they are, who they... They don't study to show themselves approved to God. And in fact, if you want to know about it, the way, you, the way you inoculate yourself from getting sucked into these vain babblings is that you study to show yourself approved to God because then you know what is true and what isn't. All right? And some people get sucked off into this theological error. Nevertheless, regardless of what happens, regardless of whether you're what happens to these people, the solid foundation of God stands. And it stands having a seal, a sign. And what is that sign? Number one, the Lord knows those who are His. What does He mean by that? God knows who belongs to Him, right? We might, we're down here, we're stuck with confusion. We're stuck with with all kinds of stuff. And you have people drawing people off into, into um, doctrinal error. You might have them drawing them off to make disciples and to cause divisions. But, you know, in spite of all that, God knows the ones who are His. God's not confused. We may be confused, right? I mean, Seth says that. You know, he every day he's confused by people who come in and they say they're a Christian, they say they love the Lord, and you look at their life and you scratch your head and you wonder what, you know, what happened here. God's not confused. God will know. God knows the ones who are His and the ones who aren't. But the seal of God has another sign. What is that? What's the second one? Okay. What side is the first sign? Who sees that? God does, right? 
Who sees the second one? We do. This is the divine and the human perspective. God knows who are his. God's not confused. But if we name the name of Christ, what is our responsibility? Depart from iniquity. In other words, live like a believer. You name the name of Christ, act like it. And now, now take yourself personally. How do you know which one of these would you use to figure out whether you're in or not? Yeah. I mean, has anyone here talked to God to specifically ask God face-to-face -face whether you're in or not? No. So I don't see that part, right? But I do know this. I know if I've departed from iniquity. And listen here. This is this important. Both of these are connected together. God knows those who are His, and those who are His, what do they do? They depart from iniquity. Those who are not His do what? They do not depart from iniquity. Both go hand in hand. You've got the divine, you've got the human. And then he illustrates this. He says, you know, in a great house, in other words, in a large mansion, in a large home, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. What's he talking about there? You got it. Then you understand it now. If it's disgusting, you understand it. Yep. I love going and I'm a history buff and I love going into seeing houses that are very old. And one of the things we did in Germany went to Goethe House um, and Schiller House. Friedrich Schiller wrote William Tell, um, the, the, the story of William Tell. And, you know, it's interesting to see how people lived in those days. These people were pretty high up on the social order, and they lived pretty primitively compared to us. I mean, I'll tell you, we've got, we've got comforts that they can only dream about. But you see chamber pots. You see spittoons. All right? They didn't have toilets. They had clay pots. And one of the things you did in the morning is you took the clay pot out and you dumped it out. You know? And Paul is saying in a great house, you've got all kinds of vessels. You've got gold and silver vessels. What are those used for? Well, you eat off of them, right? You show, you know, when you go to eat dinner, you don't pull out the chamber pot. When you go to eat dinner, you pull out the good china. You know, you pull out the good stuff. If anyone cleanses himself from the ladder, what's the ladder? Well, he cleansed himself from the ladder. How do you cleanse yourself from the clay pots? Is it referring to the clay pots, do you think? What's it referring to? Back up a little bit. Sin, wickedness, the stuff that eats like a cancer, the idle words, the vain janglings, the 
That's what you, if you cleanse yourself from these, if you get away from the error, the words to no profit, which leads to theological error, if you cleanse yourself, you get yourself away from those, what kind of vessel will you be? So the question is, do you want to be a clay pot or do you want to be a gold dish? What kind of dishes does God use? Sanctified dishes. Sanctified and useful for the master. Prepared for every good work. Well, the, the, the point here, Paul's trying to just use an illustration, saying, you know, what, you know, in a house you've got all kinds of vessels, what one do you want to be? If you are full of sin, and in this context, sin is related to earlier on theological error, the vain janglings, the idle words, the words to no profit, the vain babblings. If you get, if you're, if you're um, taken over by that, you're a vessel of dishonor. God can't use you for His purposes. But if you want to be used, you become a sanctified vessel. And that, I think that's an important concept. If you want God to use you, what do you need to do? Be holy. If you're holy, God can use you. If you're not holy, God can't use you. You've got to put you back on the shelf. All right? Yeah. You ever go to the you ever go to set the table and you pull out the dishes and there's some crud on one of them? Did that ever happen to you? What do you have to do? You had to throw it in the dishwater and get another plate, right? Well, that's a that's a kid, right? Yeah, she she needs some help, Seth. She's obsessive. But but no, the point is you can't use it. And the imagery Paul is saying is if God pulls you off the shelf to use you and you have sin in your life, can't use you. You want to be used. Sanctify yourself. Cleanse yourself. You want to be a chamber pot or do you want to be a golden bowl? All right. Flee also youthful lusts. Pursue righteousness. What's youthful lust? Well, temptations and that. And, and, and what, do you, what does he mean by youthful lust, do you think, here? And why do you do it when you're a kid? Because you're immature. You haven't, you haven't, you're not, you've not matured yet. All right. Yeah, it doesn't. Well, we think we think of youthful lust here. We we immediately think, well, it's referring to sexual immorality. It's more than that. It's the dumb stuff kids do, right? And the reason they do dumb stuff is because they're not serious. Yeah, there's 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 a, there's a lack of seriousness here. Um, flee those. Why do you need to flee those? Because that's a sign of immaturity. And the idea of flee there is to run from. It's not to walk away from or take the hundred yard mosey. It's to run. Okay? And, and instead of, you got to run from youthful lust and 
pursue. What's the idea of pursue? Well, that's to run after righteousness. Faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. I mean, again, the B plot keeps showing up, right? I mean, you might want to go back and read both of these books again and find out how many times he talks about foolish, ignorant disputes, vain babblings, idle talk, foolish talk. It's all over the place. And he's trying to draw a distinction between it. Now, who are the people that have a pure heart? Yeah. Go back to what, 1 Timothy 1? Now, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and unfeigned faith. 1.5. Uh, you want who do you want to hang with? Yeah. The idea is the people, the kind of people that you want to hang around with are people that are going to have a positive spiritual influence on you. If you hang around with the youthful lust crowd, what are you going to do? The things that they do. You don't want to hang around with the youthful lust crowd. You want to hang around with the people who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Where do they get the pure heart? How do you get the pure heart? You study and you... Yeah, you pursue wholesome words and you avoid what? Stupid arguments. You avoid stupid arguments. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes knowing that they generate strife. Stay away from that stuff. Stay away from the argumenting, the, ar the stuff that people argue, the things that don't amount to anything. And how do you know they don't amount to anything? Because they produce strife and they produce ungodliness. Alright? And, and, and another thing here, does the truth produce strife sometimes? Yes. yes. So it's not that you avoid strife. It's that you avoid strife about things that are not true. And you know what the truth things are. They're the commandments from the Word of God. They're from what Jesus Christ has said. They're the stuff handed down. Paul is telling Timothy, don't get sucked up into endless disputes about stuff that don't matter. There's a few of those. I'll tell you one that doesn't matter. The version of the Bible you use is an is a endless dispute. You can fight. There are books and trees and whole forests that have died printing books on what version of the Bible you should read. If you go out and do a web search on the King James only, I'll tell you, they, they websites pop up all over the place. And there are people that call down the fire of Sodom and Gomorrah on anybody that does not use the KJV version of the Bible. And they will, they say you are of the devil, you know, and I, and vitriol, and you know what? It's, it's foolish talk. It's, what do you need to do? <laughs> Avoid them. Avoid them. As long as you're reading the Bible. Of course, there are some versions. There are some versions that are notably bad, but, 
But, you know, if you got the NIV or you got the New King James or the King James or you like the Greek or you like the Biblica Hebraica Stuttgar Stenza, have at it. All right? But it's, it's endless talk. It's, and there are whole websites given over to this. You know, and there's other websites that are given over to the view of the rapture. I'm, t I'm telling you. I got one site that I, I get some stuff, the pre-wrath viewpoint. And uh, Charles Cooper is the head of that. He used to be a professor at Moody until they kicked him out because of his, his viewpoints on this. And he's got a whole ministry given over to trying to straighten out everybody's view of the rapture. Does it matter? I mean, in grand terms, does it matter? It's irrelevant. It is totally irrelevant. Yeah. And you know what? You should. You should. The version of the Bible you use, unless it's a version that systematically distorts the Word of God, is irrelevant. It's not relevant. Um, the, the, the timing of the rapture in the grand eternal scheme of things is not relevant. You may have a position on that, but to sit around and fight and argue and have symposia and, and develop whole ministries given over to this thing is irrelevant. It's, it's, it, it's disputes. It's, it, it's, it, it doesn't matter. Is Paul specifically talking about church issues here? I think he's talking about theological issues. Yeah. You know, gossip or... no, I don't think he's talking about gossip. He's talking about theological, and, and how how do you know that? Because he illustrates it by Philetus and Hymenaeus, who had a errant theology, a theology that did not square with the Word of God. Okay, and there are people that come up with these things, and they come up with them one after another, and it doesn't matter. We we get we get so busy. On stupid stuff. The servant of the Lord must not quarrel. What does it mean to quarrel? To fight. I like the way Vance Havner put it. He says, you know, a dog can lick a skunk any day. It just ain't worth it. I love it, you know. And, and sometimes... You know, you can you can lick these people. It just ain't worth it. It ain't worth fighting about. Let it go. Let it go. Don't 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 fight it. All right, because it yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, it, and, and Paul basically, you know, um, in one of the passages, a, a heretic after the first and second admonition reject. If somebody doesn't want to listen to the truth, of the, and it's got to be the truth of the Word of God, if they don't want to listen to it, don't nag them. Don't fight them. It, it, it's not worth it. You're casting your pearls before swine. All right? I think it is. He must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. Quarrel, what do you mean by quarrel? Well, what is the context of quarreling here? Constantly fighting over picayune doctrine. That's what it is. It's picayune stuff. It's not, we're not talking deity of Christ stuff here. We're talking 
picayune stuff. Things that, that don't matter. Don't get sucked into that. Don't get drawn down that path because then you start fighting with them. It isn't worth it. It's not worth it. Okay? Most churches split over things that don't matter. They don't split over the deity of Christ. They don't split over the blood atonement. They split over the color of the carpet. They split over what hymn book we're going to use. They split over what version of the Bible we're going to use. People have conniptions over stuff like that. Or who gets elected to the deacon board, who doesn't get elected to the deacon board. Irrelevant. Irrelevant. There are bigger things to worry about than that. And Paul is saying, the servant of the Lord must not quarrel but be gentle. Well, the idea of gentle there is not argumentative. It doesn't mean that you don't forcefully present your truth, but you realize when there is a resistance to that, don't, don't keep it up. It's not worth it. If people don't want to listen, don't keep on this picky uni stuff. Don't keep fighting them. Avoid that. Don't, don't get around it. It's not worth arguing over. So you need to be gentle, apt to, able to teach, patience. Look what it says, in humility correcting those in opposition. What's the idea of being in humility? Yeah. You know, if somebody comes in and says, look, I believe the King James Bible is the only valid version of the scripture, I say, well, you idiot. What's wrong with you, you stupid ignoramus? Get your head out of your whatever and, and get, you know, wake up. What's wrong with you, you know? That, that, that's not what he's saying to do, right? Don't, don't come at him. Don't come at him. Instead, we need to be patient. And you could do that in a, in a gentle way. Say, well, you know, I, I, don't, I don't hold to that position. And, you know, here's my reasons. And, you know, if they want to talk about it, talk about it. If they want to sit there and fight with you, you don't need it. A lot of times fights, I've noticed, um, go around with personalities. I remember a few years ago, there's a, you know, a couple of friends in my in, that I had here at the church um, didn't like the pastor, and he was a close friend of mine. I go over to his house, and all I hear is all the negative stuff about the church. Well, after a while, I said, I don't need this. I quit going over there. I mean, I would go over there, and I'd say, well, you know, I'm not sure it's that way. Well, what's wrong with you? You should know better than that. Well, you know, I don't think that's the way it is. I don't think that's right. Well, what's wrong with you? You know, you, you, you've compromised. You're, I, I, after a while, it's just, it's not worth it, folks. I mean... Be gentle, be kind, try to, in humility, teach. But you know what? There comes a point when you have to back away from that because what's going to happen if you hang yourself around that? It's going to eat you like a cancer. Yeah, don't hang around it. It ruins the hearers. If God perhaps will grant them repentance, they may know the truth.
and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. What's the idea of getting caught up in the snare of the devil? Doing his work. Doing his work. Doing his work. Now, now here, here's... Here's, here's one of the, 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 the big picture items I think Paul's trying to get at. You can be right, but you can be wrong in the way in which you're right. Okay? I think that's what he's trying to get at here. Um, I come from a, a, um, a denomination that has a good amount of spiritual arrogance in it. We're right and everybody else is wrong, and that's just the way it is. And there's a certain, and, and, and it's almost to the point where there's, there's a pride in our rightness. Now, where, where's pride come from? That's, that's what got the devil in his problem, isn't it? You can be right, but don't be arrogant about it, because where does your rightness come from? The truth of the Word of God, and you need to learn that in humility. Okay? Don't be arrogant about it. And I notice in a, in a lot of churches and a lot of denominations, there's a strong arrogance that we are the first church that got it right. We're the only church in Lorraine County that, that honors the Lord the way He wants to be honored. And if you're not part of us, you're a awful person and there's an arrogance and when you talk to people you're talking down at them don't talk down at people did Christ talk down at people no he didn't the only people if you want to think of talking down the only people really talked down to were the Pharisees who figured they had it all right but the average person Christ did not talk down to them <clears throat> And, and, and again, Christ was right about everything. About everything. And yet, people were amazed at his graciousness and his humility and the way he carried himself. And, and we need to be very careful. It's at one, of the, one of the dangers as you study to show yourself approved to God, as you learn the truth of the Word of God, is a streak of, of arrogant accomplishment can, can leak its way in where you think, I've got the answer, and if you don't agree with me, you're an idiot. I mean, that can leak into you. Be careful not to let it leak into you. In humility, try to teach others. If perhaps God will give them repentance. Teach it humbly. Don't, don't be arrogant. Don't flaunt it. Don't flaunt your knowledge. And don't look down on people that haven't sort of gotten to where you're at yet, maybe. Why may, why, why may they disagree with you? Well, they may be contrary, but they may not have gotten to that point yet. If, if I bring someone who got saved yesterday and drop them in here and start talking about the, the, the sovereignty of God and election, you know, it's just over their head, right? They're not ready for it yet. It might take them years before they get to the point where it makes sense. It, it, they understand it. 
We do that to our kids, don't we? Don't you allow your kids to grow up and, and get to the point where they can handle things? Well, we need to do the same thing spiritually. We need to allow people to grow up and to, to encourage them in, in the Word of God. And he's saying the man of God must not be quarrelsome. He must not always be picking a fight and being always, always arguing about doctrine. Every time you turn around, he's got to argue about some doctrine or, or correct somebody, you know. <coughs> somebody says something wrong, you've got to jump on them and correct them right away. Be gentle. Let them grow up. <coughs> indirectly related, but you know, the, in the Men of Valor group here at the church, they, they meet for prayer with men like on two or three Saturdays a month, and they're trying to get other churches involved. They've been successful with a few, but I was talking to the person in charge of it, and he said many of the churches are afraid to even, because they think that we think that this church thinks that we started it, we're too good, and we're trying to get members in our church. We're trying to, that's the only reason we want, <laughs> we want that prayer, to bring new membership into the church. But it's yeah. just an idea of the attitudes and what they're thinking out there, you know. <laughs> it's just always something, you know, divisional or strife. <laughs> Amazing. Rather than fellowship, they go yeah. the It's working, you know, it's getting local. But there are many, as you said, that, are, that have that attitude. Well, we have to ask ourselves, you know, teaching people in humility, you know. And, and as a personal note, when I was young and arrogant and in college, I figured I had all the answers. And, um, you know, I taught a couple of Bible studies, and I was a pretty pompous little... I was a pompous little guy there, you know. And it took it took a few years to... It took a few years to get that out of me. I needed some. And it took a few years to get it out of me and to learn that, you know, I don't have all the answers. And what answers I do have are derived from this and this alone. And I need to teach in humility, gentle, with patience, you know, not fighting, not arguing. And, and you have to get rid of that arrogance because knowledge can make you arrogant. It can make you pompous. You think you've got the answer. You know? Yeah. Back off. Christ was right. Christ could have, Christ could have taken any theological statement given him and corrected it. And he didn't. He didn't walk down a road correcting every word that Peter said and every word that James said. Once in a while, he would say something, but he wasn't that way. And we need to be gentle. And by the way, just inside, do you think you have all the answers? Yeah, see, I, I thought I did, but then I found out I didn't have any of the questions. I had to learn a bunch of new questions, right? We, we, we you know, and that... That's what Paul's trying to get at here. Because some people get caught up in the snare of the devil. And they like to argue about their little pet notions and their little pet ideas. And wherever they go, they got to start an argument about it. And they're caught up in the snare of the devil thinking that they know something that somebody else doesn't. And don't get caught up in that. Stay away from it. Avoid it. Arguments are interesting related to self-confidence and self-esteem. 
And notice, notice what it says here. No, no, notice, who's going to do the convincing in this passage? If perhaps God will. I don't have to, you know, that's, that's nice. I don't have to straighten out the KJV only people. That's not my life goal to straighten them out and to get them to see things right. I don't need to worry about that. I don't need to worry about it. I don't need to worry about the, the, the you know, the, the tribulation people, you know, if they got the tribulation wrong. I don't need to worry about it. God will take care of it. I don't need to fight the battle. God will have to fight the battle. Now, I need to be patient. I need to teach them and, and, and you know, bring the Word of God, not my own opinion, the Word of God, but God's got to take care of them. I, I don't need to argue my way. I don't need to argue. I don't need to win the argument because God is going to have to win the argument. God's got to change the heart, not you. And like Seth said, you can win the argument and lose the battle. You don't want to do that. Let God do it. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. What's the last days? Now. I mean, as far as Paul was concerned, the last days were any day after the day he wrote this, right? I mean, that was the last days. The New Testament church always saw themselves in the last days. And Paul says, you've got to know this. What do you mean to know? Well, mark it down. This is the way it is. In the last days, perilous, and some even, first even use savage, savage times will come. Times is epics. It's the, the, the times in which we live. And it's going to come, it's going to accumulate and just get worse and worse. For men will be lovers of themselves. That's a, that's one word. Philotois means to love yourself. Now, what do the psychologists tell us today is our problem? We don't love ourselves, right? And I like the way Dave Hunt put it. He says some girl came up to him and she was all worried. She says, you know, I need to love myself because, you know, I'm so ugly. I'm so ugly. And he says, well, you know, if you were, if you, she, no, she, he said, the girl came up to him and said she hated herself. He said, well, why do you hate yourself? Well, I'm so ugly. He said, no, you're not. You don't hate yourself. What do you mean? Well, if you hated yourself, you'd be glad you're ugly. Right? <laughs> <laughs> if you hate yourself, you'd be glad you're ugly. Right? Right. That's right. So by the very statement of her saying she was upset she hated herself because she was so ugly. He says, no, you love yourself. That's your problem. Because if you really hated yourself, you'd be glad you're ugly. Right? Now think of that one. All right? Yeah. The whole point is we, we have people today that love themselves. And listen, you know, I've been doing a lot of thinking on this. That is the opposite that is a total opposite of the character of a Christian. All right? What is the perfect relationship? Well, look at the Trinity. You've got three members in the Trinity, and each member of the Trinity is 100% consumed about the welfare and well-being of the other two members. All right? There's no 
there's no focus in on self. And in the garden, what was Adam and Eve concerned about? No. Before the fall. With each other, right? Adam was not worried about the way he looked. He was concerned about what can I do to make Eve happy. Eve was concerned about what can I do to make Adam happy. How can I how can I relate to him? How can I meet his needs? And he was how can I meet her needs? And there was a total absorption in the other. And then sin comes along. What do they immediately do? I'm naked. I gotta cover myself. I gotta hide. I gotta. And what happened when God showed up? You hid, right? I gotta cover myself. Focus in on self. Sin basically, folks, is a focus on yourself, an exaltation of yourself over someone else. A focus of yourself over God, over another person, whatever. And when you, the more you love yourself, the less you're going to focus on other people. So people becomes a means of enhancing yourself. People are a means. You see that in television. You see that CSI. It's, it, I mean, that's a, that's an, every week is an object lesson of people who are selfish. All they think about is what's in it for me, what's in it for myself, what do I get out of this thing? Who cares about the other person? And today we have a society given over to self. People are worried about themselves. They love themselves. And because they love themselves, they can't love anybody else. Don't let any psychologist tell you you need to love yourself. The Bible says you need to deny yourself, right? You're to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're to love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because it assumes you have a care for yourself. Now that doesn't mean that you, you um, how do you want to put it, uh, you flagellate yourself. It doesn't mean that you starve yourself to death because you give your food away. It's not, it's not talking about that. It means what is the focus in a relationship? Is it on the other person or is it on you? And what heaven is going to be is going to be a total focus on everyone else. I'm not in heaven, I'm not going to worry about me. I'm going to worry about everybody else. And everybody else is going to worry about me. And that's going to be great. There's not going to be any self-focus. But Paul is saying in the end times, people are going to be more and more and more self-focused. And that's what we see in the world today. People are consumed with themselves. That's why you have rampant materialism. That's why, you know, we have the sins that we see in the world today. People are consumed by their own pleasure, their own wants, their own needs, their own desires. And if you're married to someone who doesn't meet your need, punt them and get somebody who does. Because you deserve it, right? That's what we're told. God wants you happy. No, God wants you to be holy. Happiness is something that you get later holy. God wants you holy. Yeah. And then it says here, lovers of money, phila argos. Comes from argentum, which is silver. Lovers of silver, silver lovers. People love silver. Now, do people love money today? Yes. Yeah. They love money today. They love money. Today. And that's why gambling, I think, is one of the major things. People will take money and throw it away on 
lottery tickets to hit the big prize, right? And when they get it, what do they have? Nothing. They wish they wouldn't have earned it. They did a study. Most of the people that won the jackpots wish they didn't because it ruined their lives. It ruined their lives. Did they get the lottery? or? Well, yeah, or their kids got up and gave them. Yeah. Change their life. Ruin their life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people are money lovers. People are money lovers. They're money lovers. And because people are self-lovers, and because people are money lovers, what happens? Well, they're boasters. What's a boaster? Bragger. Um, you need to understand that the first two conditions cause all the others. The first two conditions cause all the others. If you love yourself and you love money, you will be a boaster, a braggart. You know, I, I read resumes that are full of lies. You ever read a resume? Yep. Full of lies. Most of them. Because what are you trying to do? Yes. You're trying to sell yourself. Now, you can't sell yourself by saying, you know, you're mediocre. <laughs> I remember when I was interviewing for a job at Moen, um, they asked me, you know, my what I did. And I... I was honest with them. I told them what I did at Oberlin and all that. I said, I'll tell you one thing. I don't know anything about the Unix operating system. And that's what they used over there at Moen. And they hired me because I told them I didn't know anything about it. I said, yeah, you can pick that up. But I was honest that, you know, I didn't blow smoke and, you know, make it out that I knew something I didn't. I've got guys coming in that are senior DBAs, and they don't know what a table is in an Oracle database. And it's... You know, you, you shake your head. They lie. They're boasters. They, they brag about things. The idea of boasting is to, to make promises that you can't keep. And, and not only can you not keep it, you don't have any means whereby to keep it. Maybe a good example of this is in James. Go to now ye that boast and say today, tomorrow we'll go into such a city, buy, sell, and get much gain. You don't know what a day may bring forth. You might go into that city and not make anything. Also think of the boast of the gambler. If I just pin this one more dollar on this ticket, I'll hit it. it I feel it in my bones. I'm going to hit it. They boast. They, they don't have any means to pull it off. But because people love themselves and love money, they'll boast. They'll make empty promises. Proud. Oh, we don't have that problem, do we? Proud. We have pride. That doesn't mean, we're not talking here about confidence or anything like that. We're talking about an arrogant pride, an exaltation of self. Yeah. <laughs> blasphemers. What's a blasphemer? We usually think of blasphemy as referring to what? God's name. God's name. But, 
But basically, what's the base? What's the root word of blasphemeo? It's to speak evil. It could be God. Could be anything. Do people speak evil today? Well, look at the. I mean, look at the election we just had, right? Yeah. I mean, good night. I thought George Bush had horns. You know the way that some of them sounded. I thought John Kerry had horns, right? The way you demonize. You know, it, we demonize people today, don't we? I don't care what your political affiliation is, but if you if you don't like somebody, you demonize them. You you speak evil of them. You say all kinds of things, and you make it up, right? It doesn't matter whether it's true or not. You just make it up. And why do you do that? Make yourself look good. If I can make them look bad, I can make myself look good. Whether it's true or not is irrelevant. We would speak evil. Why? Because we want to get ahead. And the way you get ahead is you make somebody else look bad. I don't know why anybody... I, you know, I, I really think wanting to be president of the United States speaks that somebody's mentally ill. The very fact you'd want to be president, you, there's something wrong with you. To, to, to put yourself through that. I mean, the viciousness of people. You know? Digging around, I mean, from the time you were conceived, <laughs> they got it all, don't yeah, they? They've got, they've got, you know, who wants that? Who would want that? You know, but, but we live in a society, and you see this in the news, the viciousness that they attack people, even whether it's true or not. Their, their reputation is destroyed, shredded. And then when you find out it's not true, the damage has been done. The damage has been done. That's all they know. Disobedient to parents. Oh, well. oh, we don't have that problem, do we? <laughs> I never had that problem. You know, um, I know I'm guilty of murder many times at Christmas when standing in lines with little kids bawling their eyeballs out for the latest toy. You just want to reach over and just, you know, and, and treating their parents with disrespect and disdain. I want to smack them both, you know. <laughs> Control your kid, you know. But kids, Donna, Donna really likes the Little House on the Prairie CDs we got. We got the CDs for Little House on the Prairie DVDs. And, uh, you know, you just look at those. And, they, you know, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. You know, there's respect. You know, Dad says, you know, it's time to go to bed. Yes, sir. You know, there's no screaming and hollering, throwing things and tamper tantrums and, you know. Well, you did something right. All right. The other day, my daughter was talking to somebody and she said, yes, ma'am. She said, oh, don't say that to me. Don't say that to me. That makes me feel old. And I'm like, that's a sign of respect. Sign of respect. Yeah, it's a sign of it's a sign of respect. You treat people. Yeah. You know. You know. I'm, I mean, I'm I'm 46 and I treat my parents with respect. I wouldn't dare. You know. Sometimes I, you know, I ha I had to take a strong stand with my parents on a couple of issues, but 
I did it with respect. I, I didn't like it. It was a very uncomfortable thing to do. I want to treat my parents with respect. To, to, to cuss out my parents is, I, I couldn't think about that. You know, that, that is just, and I have little kids. Let's talk about the old man, the old woman, and all this other. You're, you're, you're training juvenile delinquents. You're training juvenile delinquents. And what do we have there? We have children disobedient parents. And then when the parents try to make the kids behave, the police arrest them for brutalizing their kids. You know? No. Yeah. See, in my days, in my day, you know, my mom told me a very simple thing. She said, if you ever get paddled at school, you're going to get paddled at home, no questions asked. I never did get paddled at school, just so you know. I never... Twelve years, never got one, never. not once. No, never. No, never, never. But it was just—it was just understood. You respect your teachers. You respect your parents. You don't talk back. You don't sass back. You know. Most of it was because of the division of families where there wasn't a father. Or, I mean, a really high percentage of a lot mm -hmm. of the crime all comes back to the family structure, you know, where there wasn't that figure there. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was really alarming to see such a high statistic. Of what oh, there, there, yeah. But I still don't believe, I, I believe that to a point. Yeah. Okay. Because mm -hmm. my mother raised ten of, nine of us by herself in church because my father was out doing whatever he thought he was big enough to do. But your mom it's made you behave. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. What she believed. She believed in God and you know, she was brought high to believe that. We have a society today where disobedience to parents is a virtue. Oh, yeah. It's a growing thing. Yeah. It's really getting ugly. It's, it's a virtue. It's, been ugly. Yeah. it's even worse. Yeah. It hasn't been as ugly as Kevin. It's real. I mean, you see. Well, I, I, three or four year olds kicking, kicking, kicking their parents. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, work, yeah. I teach school, and I have never seen kids so as respectful as they are. Yeah. I don't know why I'd never want to be a teacher. You know. Yeah. And then And then it says here they're unthankful. Yeah. We them that way Well, kids are unthankful, but society's unthankful. We're not thankful for anything. We gripe and bellyache over stuff that it, that just you know that 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 I don't know. We we complain about everything. You know, and and I think part of this goes back. I think one of the great Christian virtues is learn to be thankful for everything. I have learned in whatever state I am, therewith to be content. And he says the love of money is the root of all forms of evil. Godliness with contentment. Is great gain. Be thankful. You know, 
You know, say, well, you know, I don't have a nice car. Well, be thankful you have a car. You know, I don't like the clothes I wear. Well, at least you got clothes. You're ahead of 90% of the people in the world already, you know. The very fact that you're, you're an American is, means you're ahead of 90% of the people in the world. And just learning to be thankful. And, and here's the point. Everything we have comes from whom? When you're not thankful, what are you telling God? You're not fair to me. I'm mad at you. You're not giving me what I want. You're like a little kid throwing a temper tantrum, didn't get the right toy for Christmas. I mean, God's given us everything. God gives you your next breath. Learn to be thankful. Just to have an appreciative... And, and then when something good happens, you can, you can enjoy it because it's from God. It's, it's from Him. But people today are not thankful. We have this massive um, aura of discontent. And then it says they're unholy. Well, geez, think of that. They're godless. They're, they don't live separated lives. They're, they're godless. They're unloving. Um, they, the, the problem that people have to... Here's, here's the problem. People today are seeking something they can never have. What do people want? What does the average person want? Love. Love and, and how do they get that? They get it in a... Well, 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 they, seek anyway. they seek someone to love them, to care for them, to take... But they can never have it because they're selfish, they're self-centered, they're unthankful, they're unholy. You look at, you know, I look at these movie stars, you know, and they, they couldn't be happy if, for anything. How can they be happy? You know, they're miserable. You know, they wind up at people like Seth, you know, because they're miserable. Here's Marilyn Monroe, a beautiful woman. What's her, she can't be happy. What, five, five marriages? Four marriages? I don't know how many marriages she went through. You never can be happy. Why? Looking in the wrong place. You're looking for the wrong thing. You'll never have it. producer or someone involved in Hollywood and they asked her to do an interview with you and have her and she she didn't know what to do. She figured she'd have to frown away from that. So they said, well this could be an opportunity. So she wound up doing it against her better judgment. And in that in that interview it came out, you know, he, he talked about his childhood and how, you know, he he was such a bad child and everything. And the and the bottom line at the end of the interview said, well, I guess I'm just a boy still looking for somebody to love me. And, and she and she went back and said, well, God loves you. I mean, almost with tears in my eyes. Just, I well, mean, that's the whole thing, but he's not, I mean, look at the lifestyle, you know, and everything. But the world, yeah, the world is looking for somebody to love him, and they think it's the booze, the sex, the looks, the money, the fame, the good times, and that's not where it's at. You can't be happy. No, it, it's not there. It's not to be found there. If you want love, you want fulfillment, this is how you get it. You know, and we see that as being restrictive. You know, and it's not. It's freeing. You know, 
Um, they're uh, unforgiving. Well, you know, I don't get mad, I get even. You know, the bumper stickers, I don't get mad, I get even. You know, we have people who are unforgiving. Why do you think the lawyers, there's so many lawyers in the world? Well, people are unforgiving. You know, and this is carried over. We hold grudges. We're mad at people. We, 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 we have long memories. We're not to be unforgiving. We're to be forgiving. We're not to hold grudges. Slanderers. What's a slanderer? Always talking about somebody. Yeah. Without self-control. What's without self-control? No discipline. The idea here is to learn learn to say no to yourself. When you when you, you know when you can have that double fudge chocolate sundae, just say, "No, not today. Not today." Yeah. The whole point here. I'm joking. The whole point is learn to say no to yourself on certain things. You know, if you have the money to buy something and you like it and want to get it, say, nah, I got enough already. I don't need that. Just just learn, just learn. You don't need another pair of shoes. I'm joking. She's the one with all the pairs of shoes. The whole point is, no, the idea of, of self-control is learning to discipline yourself, learning to look at the long-term picture. We're, we live in a world of immediate gratification. How do you do that? You pull out the credit card, yeah. pop it down. The next thing you know, you got $150,000 in debt. You're like with that guy on the commercial. I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. I still love that. <laughs> Stanley or whatever his name is. You know, I'm in debt up to my eyeballs, you know. And we have people that are entrapped and enmeshed in this because they've never learned to say, I don't need that. Now, our grandparents... Learn to say no. They grew up in the Depression. They didn't need that. They got along with what they had. And most of them were happy. We have everything and then some. Then we got to rent used store places to store all the extra junk we have that we can't fit in our barns. We got to build bigger barns. Mm -hmm. And if we can't build a bigger barn, we just rent one yeah. and stuff it in there, you know? No self control. Brutal. What's brutal? Vicious. Vicious. You see that in some of the some of the uh, the crimes you see the viciousness, the mutilations. Despisers of good. That's the point. It's not that they say, Well, I'm gonna do my thing and you do your thing, but if you do good, they hate you. They despise you for doing good things. They're traitors. What does that mean? They turn you in. They try to gain your confidence only to take advantage of you. Headstrong. What's that? Stubborn. Can't tell them anything. You can't. You tell them a lot, but not much. Because they don't want to hear. Haughty. What's a haughty person? Stuck up. Proud. The idea of haughty there is you don't want to hang around other people because they might, you know, they're not they're not your type. 
They're not your type. You look down on them. There is absolutely no quarter in the Christian life to play any respect of persons for any reason. Economic, social, racial, intellectual. Christ loved everybody, didn't he? He didn't care what your color was. He didn't care what your gender was. He didn't care whether you were a kid or whether you were an old man. The kids were... Something about it. all the kids wanted to be around Christ. <coughs> all the kids wanted to play with him. Yeah. He loved everybody. We got people who are haughty. Well, I don't want to be stuck with that person because they're not of my caliber. Well, fine. Lovers of pleasure. Yeah, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. What feels good. Whatever. Pursuing pleasure. Why do people take drugs? Why do they drink? Why do they un unbridled sex? Everything else. What is it? Can you imagine running a Cialis commercial 50 years ago on TV? And the language used? That Cialis or um, what is it? Uh, Viagra or all that? I'd probably get a hundred... Yeah, all of these things. And it's like th millions. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Oh, yeah, the, the one. I didn't look at that. I didn't see it. I mean, Fox. Yeah. I mean, I had read about it. I can't believe that they actually put that on there. And CNN showed it. Lovers. Lovers. They're looking at you would not. The point is, it's lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. People pursue pleasure, what feels good. And that's why they drink and take drugs and kill themselves. Then it says here, having a form of godliness but denying its power. What, now, not everybody has all of these characteristics, right? <laughs> He's just saying, if you want to look at the times, you're going to see people out there who are money lovers, self lovers. You got the disobedient crowd. You got the unthankful crowd. You got the crowd that is haughty. You got some that are headstrong. You've got others. And they said there's some that have a form of godliness but deny its power. Who are those? That's TBN. Yeah, that's TBN. Yeah, they say they're godly, but they deny the power. What's the power of godliness? Salvation and change, right? A transformation of life. Just because somebody says they're a Christian doesn't make them one. Someone says going to church doesn't make you any more of a Christian than sitting in a garage makes you a car. <laughs> That's another little pithy saying you can take home with you. Yeah. He says, from these people, what are you to do? Stay away from them. Now, they are the mission field. It doesn't mean stay away from them in the sense that you don't try to reach them. It means don't accompany with them. Don't hang around people who are consumed with this. 
I don't want to hang around people that are always talking about somebody else. No. I don't want to hang around people that are just a, a, totally absorbed in money and self and pleasure and all this other stuff. I don't want to hang around those people that are focused on themselves. I don't need to run with the in crowd. I don't need to be popular. Stay away from them. Don't, don't, don't hang with them. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. What group is he talking about there? It's the having the form of godliness and denying the power thereof group. What are they unable to do? They're unable to act like inwardly they are not what they appear to be outwardly. And why aren't they? Well, it's an easy question. It's an easy answer. What don't they have? They don't have a transformed life. They don't have a transformed life. What do you expect a pig to do? Why is it? Why? It's within its nature, right? Why do you expect an unbeliever to sin? It's in their nature. They don't know any better. These guys might be able to mask it on the outside. They may be able to cover it up a little bit. But you can't you can't mask it forever, can you? Look at look at the you know look at the fallout of the TBN crew, you know look at Swagger, look at Baker, look at some of the other scandals. Oh, Jan Miss Hairdo uh, Crouch and I don't Paul Crouch, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't followed it. But listen, here's the point, folks. They cannot restrain the flesh because there's no power to do so. You can't. How can you restrain the flesh? And who has to do the crucifying? God does. Let me tell you. The Holy Spirit is the only agency that can control your flesh. You can't. None of us in here can control our flesh. The only way we would have any kind of control over the flesh is because God, the Holy Spirit, gives us that. He is the one who restrains our flesh. We can't do it. It's impossible for us to restrain the flesh. These people have no way to restrain the flesh. And so they're sin will boil its way to the surface. And they're like the ones who, who sneak into houses and make captive of gullible women loaded down with sins. What's he talking about there? In those days and, and today, who's mainly home? Women. women. Where are the men? They're out working, right? These guys, they're, 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 they're not working. They're they're the so-called spiritual experts. They sneak in and lead captive gullible women. What is the driving motivation? Pleasure, immorality. These are those who sneak in. 
And they're always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You ought to hear the stupidity and ignorance on the shows. I mean, I mean, I, I got to use this illustration. John MacArthur was talking about listening. He was listening to, I think it was Paul and Jan Crouch, their show on TBN. And they had some guy on there, and the guy says, my life verse is whatever right verse he picked it out. You heard this story. So my life verse is such a verse because I was born in like 1957, so it's like Matthew 19 something. I don't know, it's something like that. I don't know the exact verse. But the, the, the verse was something, you know, that, that was profound. And this guy, you know, it was his life verse because of the year he was born. And so this um, Paul Krause said, boy, you know, I was born in such such a year, you know. Let's see what my life verse is. So they go to Matthew, and it didn't have the right, you know, number the chapter didn't have the right number of verses. And Mark didn't have that chapter in it, you know. Mark only goes up to 16. They went over to Luke, and they finally found the verse, and the verse said, the Lord has need of him. And this guy just went ecstatic. You know, he's just so happy that the Lord needs me. It's so wonderful. That's my life verse. The Lord needs me. And Jan Crouch was reading, said, but wait a minute, it's talking about a jackass. <laughs> and it was, the, it was the verse, it was the verse where Christ told him, you know, go out and get, the donkey, because the Lord has need of him. And this guy was just ecstatic. And, and John MacArthur said, he's out saying, yeah, right, that's right. The silliness, the stupidity, they're always learning, they're always talking about, they can't find the truth. Why can't they find the truth? It's, it's not available to them because they don't have the Holy Spirit to tell them what the truth is. Do you get that? What gives you the ability to understand the truth is you've got in you the Holy Spirit that gives you the ability to understand what is right and what is wrong. And if not, all you're doing, you're stuck with Phil. That's who you're stuck with. Dr. Phil. That's who you got. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're stuck with Dr. Phil. Or you're stuck with Jerry Springer, right? Sit around and talking about and never finding the truth. Why? Because it's not within your ability to get it. And, and people pursue the truth. They pursue this fad, and they pursue that fad, and they try this new old thing, and they try that thing. And they've tried 25 different things, and that doesn't work, and I'll try something else. <coughs> it's like trying to find that, just that right diet, you know? You never quite get it. It's not within them. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They're ever learning but they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They're always seeking it, but they can't find it. Because if they found it, they couldn't recognize it. Because it's not within them to recognize it. And he says, as Janus and Jambres resisted Mo Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Who's Janus and Jambres? They were the magicians, right? And what did they do? They resisted Moses. They even did some of Moses' tricks. I mean, good night. You know, they were able to make their staff turn into a snake. I haven't seen that on David Copperfield yet, right? Yeah. I haven't seen David Copperfield pull that one off. That's right. They, they resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved of creating the faith. They resisted Moses, and they resist the truth. Go on to Jerry Springer and say, you know, I, I know how to make you happy. I know how to, I know, I know how you can, I got the answer. They laugh you off the set. 
They deride you as some Christian fanatic. Right? They resist the truth. It's not that they reject it. They resist it. They actively resist the truth. You're all, you must be one of those, those red states down there with Jesus land. You know, if you saw the particular little cartoon there. Men of corrupt minds. You know what a corrupt mind is? It's a mind that can't find the truth because it's unable. This goes back to what uh, theologians call the noetic effect of sin. The noetic effect of sin. Noetic has to do with your mind, noose, thinking. And what it's saying is that sin has destroyed your ability to think morally, to see things. Your sin has corrupted you. You couldn't see the truth if it came up and slapped you in the face. You couldn't understand it. And that's why it takes God to transform you, to turn the lights on. So now all of a sudden, wow, it makes sense. I understand that now. I, okay, I see it. These people can't. Jerry Springer can't know the truth because he's got a corrupt mind. Along with Dr. Phil and the rest of them. Why? Because they are in sin. They can't know the truth. Well, Dr. Phil is a pop psychologist, you know. But I, I doubt that he's a Christian very much. But the whole point is, these people resist the truth. They don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to understand the truth, and they can't. It's contrary to their nature. They can't see it. They are men of corrupt minds. And they are disapproved concerning the faith. They are, the idea of being disapproved is they can't come to faith because their mind is corrupt. Now, how do they come to faith? How does a person of corrupt mind come to faith? And who has to do it? God does. God has to change your mind. God has to come and do a work in your heart. And he's done it in all of us. But they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. Just as Janice and Jambres was ultimately found out, these men will be ultimately found out. Now, they may be found out in this life, but they'll certainly be found out in the next. Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we run this massive church? Weren't we ministers? I don't know who you are. God has to turn the lights on. Paul here is talking about nature. And what we see is as time progresses, as things get dark in the world, things are going to get worse and worse. And in the latter times, this is the character of men. Now, this has always been in the world, but it's getting worse and worse and worse. Men of corrupt minds can't understand the truth, don't know the truth, and they have no interest in knowing the truth because they always want to learn, always want to find the next fad. They're always trying to find something, but they can never catch it. That's just in finishing up here. I remember in college, you know, in a lot of the philosophy classes, the whole idea, you know what the idea of a philosophy class is? 
is to learn to ask questions. You don't want to find any answers because then the class is over. If you take a philosophy class and you find the answer, there's no need for another philosophy because you've got the answer. You found it, right? It's like a, an, a, 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 an infinite Easter egg hunt where you're always trying to find the Easter eggs, but you don't want to find them because if you find them, then the game's over. So they're always trying to find something. And that's the way it is in the world. You've got people who are always trying to find something, but they never want to find it because when they find it, the search is over, the game is over. We found the answer, not because we found it, but because God opened our hearts and we know what the truth is. And that's how we have the truth. So we'll pick up in uh, verse 10 next week and finish up, not next week, week after, and finish up 2 Timothy. Any comments or questions or anything? <coughs> okay, well, let's close in prayer. Father, thanks for this night, and I pray that you'd help us to ponder what we've learned. I pray that we would think about it, consider it. Father, we thank you that you broke through our ignorance, and you gave us life, and you gave us light, and you gave us understanding. Forgive us, Father, for thinking we're something we're not. Forgive us for thinking that somehow we've got the answers. We don't. <coughs> you have the answers. The only reason we have any answers is given to us. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this class in Christ's name. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.